Today's Torah and Teague, let's uh, talk a little bit about two things. Let's talk still under the uh, Shavuos, uh, Yom Tov, the special Yom Tov Shavuos. This year, it seemed like we had three days, not just two days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shabbos. Started with Shabbos, Shabbos, Sunday and Monday. Uh, it's sort of, uh, you know, difficult just to, um, just to move on. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the most... I guess fascinating uh, stories uh, that we read on Shavuos is the story of Ruth, mm-hmm. and um, Chabad doesn't read it, right? What? Sorry. Does Chabad read Ruth? Uh, not in the shul, but uh, we actually do the Tikkun Leil Shavuos, so we do Ruth. So we do Ruth. We don't read it formally. Uh, okay. None of the um, Megillas of Chabad we don't read the Megillas uh, as they do in other shuls, but. Uh, specifically Ruth and Tikkun Lel Shavuos, we do read that. But it's brought down in the Shulchan Aruch. The reason we read Ruth is because Ruth had, um, you know, sacrifice and uh, she gave up a lot and she realized um, how special it is to be part of the Jewish people. She converted to to Judaism and uh, it's almost a message for all of us who are born Jewish, uh, that we should treasure and we should uh, appreciate what it means to be Jewish. And um, when it comes to especially uh, Shavuos, which is the time of uh, giving of the Torah, and it's not always easy being Jewish. Uh, sometimes you got to give up a lot. Um, Ruth, by uh, for example, she was a daughter of the king of Moyov, uh, Eglin Melech Moyov. She was a daughter of a king. Presumably she had a very comfortable and a very uh, spoiled lifestyle, you know, as the daughter of a of a king. And uh, and she wasn't lacking anything, uh, you know, in the monetary and the physical way. And yet, um, she did the unnatural thing because although originally she was married, uh, to the uh, both of the two daughter-in-laws uh, were married. They took Moabite women, Machlon and Kilion. Those were the two sons of Elimelech and Naomi. Uh, they married Moabite women, and after they died, it would only make sense as uh, after Elimelech died, and uh, then uh, the two sons died. And uh, when Naomi decided that she's going to go back to the land of Yehuda, um, it would be natural. So she tells her daughter-in-laws, she says to them, you know, go back home. I mean, and uh, she basically says to them, you know, I'm not going to have any more children. I mean, who you who you expect to sit, you know, or, you know, and even if I did, you know, she, she's basically, are you going to, you're still young, you know, you still have a chance to build a life for yourself. Go ahead and go back home and do the natural thing. And, and actually, Arpa, you know, it says, kissed her mother-in-law, and she went back home. But it says that uh, Ruth, she cleaved to her mother-in-law. She says, no, uh, wherever you go, I go, with the famous uh, word. And she says, I'm going to, your people is my people, and I'll be whatever. Only death is going to separate between us, and we're going to, my faith is your faith. That, that took a tremendous amount of, of, of supernatural courage and realization that she wanted to be part of the uh, Jewish people and uh, she was ready to give everything up and 
uh, a life of convenience and comfort as long as she can be part of the Jewish people. And um, it's interesting, some of the commentaries bring down that the numerical value of Ruth, okay, is 606. We know that there is, um, there is 613 mitzvahs, but out of the 613 mitzvahs, there are seven mitzvahs that the Noachite are supposed mm-hmm. to do. So the name Ruth she got because of the extra 606 mm-hmm. mitzvahs on top of the 613, though which was uh, seven she was already commanded. And that represented by her name Ruth. And, um, and you know, and Ruth was... Um, and the whole story, you know, you think about it... Uh, you know, uh, King David, Solomon, they all come from, uh, all come from Ruth. Uh, and actually, King Mashiach, who's going to be a descendant from the King of David, is a descendant of Ruth. And when you read in the end of the uh, Megillah's Ruth over there, it gives you the lineage where she comes from. Uh, um, uh, Ruth, you know how the uh, the family lineage of Yehuda, meaning uh, all the way down to David, you know how the lineage goes. Uh, so that you can see clearly, and and a key over there was played Ruth, and it's 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 really fascinating. There's actually three stories in the Torah which all are connected, and they're all like you know. Sort of mis- mysterious sort of stories, um, and you know you want you, you you perhaps wouldn't expect that something positive mm-hmm. would come out of something seemingly so negative, mm-hmm. something which was mm-hmm. uh, inappropriate mm-hmm. almost to say, and that would be um, you know uh, the greatest royalty and the the family and the and the redeemer of the Jewish people comes from there. You know it all started off. Going back in the Chumash with the daughters of Lot. Yeah. Uh, now Lot, uh, after they escaped, you know, Lot was a nephew of Abraham, was Avram's nephew. He went along with Avram, and then eventually um, Avram and Lot didn't get along so well. Uh, not so much uh, Avram with Lot as Lot with Avram, but Lot's behavior wasn't the best. and. He ended up in Zomamora, and after the angel came to turn over, he saved Lot, and uh, Lot escaped, and they were sitting in a cave, and Lot got drunk, and then both of his daughters had relationships with him, mm-hmm. and they gave birth to Ammon and Moab. Those were the two nations, Ammon and Moab, Moab the Moab, remember Ruth the Moabite? Mm-hmm. Ruth the Moabite is a descendant from that. Because they thought they were the last people on earth. Exactly. That was, yeah. But yet it came from something which was, you know, from incest. You know, it was. Uh, um, and it's, it's amazing to see that that act and that, that story led to. Uh, the Moabah. Now, matter of fact, if you see, uh, the Medrash tells us that Hashem basically said to all the uh, nations that were on the way of the Jewish people 
to go to Israel, Hashem said if they didn't let them through, most of them they, they fought like and they the Jews were victorious. But Hashem says, Amunamov, they weren't supposed to destroy them. Why? Because of Ruth. Because Ruth was gonna come from Moab and Nama was gonna come from Ammon, those was also the uh, the, the, the royalties. That's why they they were spared. So the whole nation was spared because of Ruth as the minimum. Wow. So that was the that was the first, you know, that was like such a fascinating story. You see that sometimes you even wonder why would the Torah have to record this story in the Chumash to tell us, you know, about everything that took place like that. And actually the Torah tells us, you know, the word Moab. You know what the word Moab? From father. From father. Yeah. Meav, Rashi mm-hmm. says over there, because uh, she was deliberate in what she did, she sort of convinced the sister to do it also. So over there, the Torah sort of disguised it. But by her, the Torah gave the name Meav, that was from a father. That was the, so that was the first story. Okay, so that's, that's from the mother's side. You know, like the, uh, uh, the joke I like to say about... Um, his mother was always bragging to her son, little son, saying that uh, what kind of a family she comes from, that, you know, that she had her, her grandfather, her great-grandfather, they were all rabbis, and they were all authors, and they were big tzaddikim and everything else, you know. So one time the kid says to his mother, he says, but I don't understand, you know, you keep on telling me uh, how uh, great all your ancestors were, but when I... When I asked my father, he says, you know, we, we actually come, you know, we come from monkeys, he says. We don't yeah. And he says we come from, uh, you know, uh, eventually from some bacteria or something. <laughs> so he says, uh, what's going on? She said, well, that's his side of the family. <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> but, uh, um, but so here we're talking about how Ruth's side of the family. So she didn't have, if you look at it, she didn't have such a prestigious uh, background over there, you know, coming from... Modest Yeah, not from Lot, and not from the Lot's daughters, and not from that. And then you have, on the other side, uh, you have uh, Boaz. Boaz is the one that marries whom? Uh, marries Ruth. That was the, the husband of Mary Ruth. Now, Boaz, he comes from the sons of Yehuda. Mm-hmm. And guess what? We're son of Yehuda. When Yehuda met Tomer, and by the way, the word Tomer and Ruth, if you see, have the same letters. The Tuff and the Reish is the same letter. The middle one is a little different. Mm-hmm. But they both have a Tuff and a Reish in it. And that has the memory. So it's also, there's a relationship over there. And the commentaries speak about all these uh, connections over there. So over there too, it's a, um, um, you know, it's a, Strange, uh, strange story you read. You know, I mean, in 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 these cases, it seems like uh, the guy, whether it was Lloyd, in the first case, he was totally drunk, so he didn't know what's going on. But the women were deliberate. That's what it seems. From the same thing is with Tamar. Uh, oh, there, Yehuda know, knew what he was doing. He wasn't drunk, but he didn't know that it was his daughter-in-law. He didn't know that it was Tamar. He didn't know. Still, he didn't know, but Tamar knew very well. She was actually uh, planned uh, this whole thing with him. So, and then the children were born, the great tzaddikim, uh, both of the sons. Uh, parents. 
Yeah. And I forgot who the other one was, but uh, it comes through the parents. Uh, yeah, that's what came through this under um, uh, Zarah. Zarah, and Zarah. And that, you know, and Peretz was actually the forebearer of, uh, of, of Boaz, yeah, and then eventually Yishai. And that also story is a little, you know, problematic to say when you read it, you know, it's not so until uh, uh, you find the explanation. And, and then these are the sources of the marriage of Boaz and Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth's story itself is also not mm. sort of, she goes in hiding and she lies next to him at the bed and, you know, the whole story over there. And he marries her, and you know, of course, and everything that that right? well, well, that is according to some commentaries, yeah. But um, he 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 did it sort of basically with his last uh, cook to just to bring about the dynasty of mm-hmm. uh, of of the king of David, and then eventually the Malach Mashiach. So you see how you know a lot of times what it tells us is you know we know we don't know. Exactly, you know the the purpose or the the how Hashem orchestrates things, how He mm-hmm. makes things happen, and even though it seems to us on the on the simple level, it seems like maybe you know it's questionable, but you know then then when you read the whole thing together, you read Lot and you read Yehuda and then you read Ruth and then you read about David Hamelach and Mashiach, and then you see it puts all together. It's amazing. So yeah, go ahead. I think I'm seeing a parallel that I never realized before. Mm-hmm. The reason why Tamar dressed as a harlot to get her to have relations with Yehuda was because, was it the two older sons mm-hmm. died? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's a similarity with... Um, that her sons Ruth, died. Ruth, her husband and the her brother. Her sons died. And, her brother, and those two brothers died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those were the wives, and over there was the... She was married to them, and uh, yes. then he wouldn't give her to Shalom. Yeah. Right, mm. to the youngest. Yeah. So that's a similarity. Mm. So, anyways, what I uh, so that that, that alone is a, is a very but I made it interesting. I mean, I, I was speaking about this in the show a little bit and the Anyantiv, but you know, it's it's here we see uh, Ruth is outstanding as we see that she had all the riches in the world, she had all the convenient comforts, and yet she chose that, and um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we um, make it relevant, so a lot of times is, you know, we, we, we have, it almost seems like we have choices, you know, we have choices to make, you know, we have choices to make, and, uh, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we, we don't uh, have to convert or anything, but Within our religion, we have choices to make. Do we, do we want to follow? Do we want to do uh, what uh, what the Torah wants us to do, or what we're taught by our rabbis that we should be doing, or should we sacrifice a little bit of our convenience, of our uh, monetary? Uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of lot of um, uh, I guess considerations go into you know. A lot of times people wonder, should they spend the money on tuition, you know, to go and pay for a Jewish school when you have free uh, tuition uh, if you sent to public school? Just one example. It's a sacrifice, you know, especially people have to make a decision where they're going to spend the money, you know, and, and, or 
Uh, you're going to have to give up a vacation or you're going to have to give up uh, some convenience because if you don't have, can't cover everything, what are you going to do? Are you going to do this or that? So it's a modern self-sacrifice. That's financially or sometimes how much are you going to trouble yourself? How much are you going to bother yourself? Uh, you know, Are you going to say, you know, I don't want to be bothered, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go to shul, I don't want to go to class, I don't want to do something because it's too, I'm tired today, I'm not feeling, I'm not in the mood. Or you're going to say, look, you know what, this is good for me, and this is good for my neshama, it's good for my soul, so even if I'm tired, if I'm not in the mood, I'm going to go ahead and do it. So everybody has their own little, you know, sacrifices that they have to make. Going to the gym, or whether or not to eat that cake over there. Okay, but that's not for spiritual reasons. That's for physical reasons. That's that's the very physical. But especially when it comes to your spiritual needs that you need, that your spiritual needs that you need, that your neshama needs, over there it's easy to... So that's what we read Ruth. What do we read from Ruth? She sacrificed, you know, and she gave up a lot. You know, and... uh, Her status? A lot of time, a lot of time, you know, you see, uh, especially I... um, I see a lot of people live like in Israel. Some people live in 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 in, in Judea and Samaria, and they put their lives in danger. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, they 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 actually sacrifice a lot, you know, mm-hmm. to live in Israel to give up. You know, a lot of people. And then you know, I know we're used to criticizing the Haredi and everything else. A lot of the people live a life of very modest means because they want to devote their life to Torah. You know, so they. They sacrifice a lot for their ideals. People do sacrifice for their ideals. That's, that's, Ruth showed us the way that, you know, give up, you know, something for your beliefs, for what you really ultimately, you want to connect to what's important, and you're willing to give up some things, a lot of things, everybody at their own level, what they're ready to give up. And, but one of the things is, you know, it's uh, something which we all, I guess, struggle with. You know, we, we, uh, a lot of times we have excuses, you know, for ourselves. Like we, we become very good at it. We don't even subconsciously, we excuse ourselves why we don't do certain things that we should be doing. We have, we have, uh, you know, reasons built in already in our subconscious. And it doesn't, you know, sometimes it doesn't, you know, we, we, we don't even bother exploring it, are we right or not, are we doing it because we're just lazy or not sure or whatever, or we're not doing it because, you know, we have a reason, we have a good reason. You know, I used to tell the story about uh, this person, uh, the governor once came and he visited all the people in the prison over there and he was asking everybody what they're in for, and nobody did anything, nobody's guilty of anything, it was my mother's fault, it was my brother's fault, it was my education, it was my friends, you know, everybody had a reason. They didn't do nothing, they're not guilty of anything. It was one Yiddel over there, and he was there, he asked them, what are you here for? He says, look, you know, I'm a poor man, and, you know, I came home, the kids are crying, they wanted some food to eat, and I couldn't, couldn't feed them. I went to the store, I shoplifted, and I didn't pay for it. I didn't have any money, and what am I going to do? The kids are crying. So I brought them the food. So the uh, governor says, you know what, you, you go free. You're, you're free. And all the other inmates are saying to the governor, they say, well, it's not fair. He's the only admitted felon over here. We're all innocent. We're all innocent. We didn't do anything. And it's not our fault. And he's uh, the one that admitted it. How come he gets to go free? 
He says, I don't want him to corrupt you guys over here. Because <laughs> this guy. You know, we have these built-in uh, reasons in ourselves. And, um, and one, of the, one of the thing is, you know, really, I mean, we, we live in a time that uh, we're lacking leadership. We're lacking, we're, we're lacking tria, real, honest. Yeah, we have rabbis, we have people that play the role, we have people that tell you and they can do, they make you feel good. You know, we have all those things, but real, genuine. You know, people don't respect authority today. Very little is really respect authority. And it's not the people's fault. The problem is because authority doesn't deserve in a lot of cases. I'm not saying mm-hmm. a lot of times the authority doesn't deserve. I mean, you take a look how our leadership, how they behave and what they do and everything else, it doesn't expect, you don't, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's something which, you know, people can legitimately say, hey, you know what, you know, these guys aren't better than me. So it's, it's interesting in the beginning of the Ruth, the book of Ruth, it starts off, it gives you sort of a time frame, when it took place. When did the story of Ruth take place? How was the first, very first words of the book of Ruth begin like this? It was during the time of the judges. <laughs> now what is the time of the judges? After Joshua brought the Jewish people into the land of Israel, for about 350, 390 years before King Saul, uh, the prophet Samuel made King Saul the king. It was a period of 390 years, 350, 390. Who was in charge? Who was the leadership? They were known as the judges. There was the period of the shoftim, the period of the judges. But somehow, it's a little problematic. So why does the uh, opening book of Ruth give you a, such a general reality? It tells you it was during the time of the judges without really telling you when the judges. It's, it could be it's, one, it's 350 years, you know, is it? And it's actually, the Talmud makes a note from the language. It says, In the simple meaning, it means that it was during the time that the judges judged. The judges, at the time that the judges judged, meaning the judges led, they were the judges. The judges judged. But the Talmud says there's another hint over here in those words. It says, not the judges judged, but the judges were judged. You judge the judges, which means it says like this. As Lama says, you know, if you came to a judge and somebody uh, brought you in front of the judge and the judge said to you that you're guilty of something which you did wrong. So he would tell you, like for example, he would tell you, take a splinter out of your teeth, which means it's a splinter is a small piece of wood. It's between your teeth, remove that because you're guilty of something. So the person will tell the judge, well, you you take a beam, a big wood, from in front of your eyes, which means you're more guilty than me. So the judge, they judge the judges, it means it wasn't a good... Disrespect. It wasn't a... But it wasn't a good period of history. It was sort of anarchy. There was chaos. There was no leadership. There was nobody to look up to. There was nobody there to really... Uh, lead the people over there. So basically what it means is that people in, in that kind of circumstances have a good reason to say, well, you know, what do you want from us? What do you want from us people? We don't have any leadership over here. We don't have any guidance. We don't have anybody to look up to. There's no, uh, no uh, living example of somebody to show the way, you know, to follow. And there's no uh, moral, moral leadership over here. So therefore, what do you conclude? I, I can't expect from me anything. So, 
So basically, it seems like what the, 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 the Ruth is trying to tell you over here, look, Ruth could have had a lot of excuses. You know, it was a period of time people could have said, you know, listen, you can't complain to us because there is no leadership, there's nobody to look up to, there's nobody guiding us, there's nobody telling us what to do. We're uh, not at fault. But the Torah actually tells you, no, no, no. Look, it was the Shveta Shevtim. It was a very a period of decay. It was a, a moral lacking. It was a, 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 a bad period in history. And yet, the individual, it has nothing to do with you as an excuse as an individual. Individual can rise, go beyond anything his surroundings. He doesn't have to look for reasons, for excuses. A person can rise up to the challenge and become like Ruth, even in those days, to say, take the moral high ground, take the, uh, the right thing, do the right things. Don't say, my friends told me to do that, this one do that, this one's fault. I'm underprivileged, I didn't have the opportunity, and this and that, you know. You could do it. It could be in a very difficult time, but you could still do it. And I think that that's why the, 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 the story tells us, even though it doesn't give you a time frame within that 390-year period, but it still tells you, well, we're living in a time in which things were sort of uh, out of control. And yet, we see this beautiful soul of Ruth. And see, guess what? One woman standing strong, despite everything going around, brings Mashiach. Mm-hmm. Because she was the one that brought, did the right thing. Mm-hmm. So the Torah is actually telling you that even in a, such a terrible situation, yet you have the power to change the whole world and to bring about the salvation and the leadership and the kingdom, everything in the world. So don't underestimate and don't look for reasons to get out of or by blaming somebody. Yeah, go ahead. Because she's a woman and she's um, virtuous, was there any flaws that she had? You know how, like, we'll expose (laughs) David Hamelech, we'll expose, you know, Yosef, we'll... Was there anything that ever came out from? I don't know. Not I know. Not that I know of in the well, she seduced, in the story. Um, she seduced um, Boaz. Boaz, no, but that was instruct. That was meant. That wasn't the bad thing. That was. Naomi told her. She didn't. She didn't seduce him. Actually, she just. She wanted him. She wanted him to marry her, not to not to do that. She wanted him to marry her, which she tricked him though. Which he did. Which he did. But nothing surprised him. She surprised him. Well, he uh, no, he refused. Basically, yeah. it's almost the story reads. I mean, you have to look. That, yeah. Look, the story reads, and she almost did. But uh, he swore that he wasn't going to touch her until right. they're married. You know, right. the, 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 and until he went to see if there was anyone else ahead of him. That right. Oh, well, that would be yeah. That he would have to give up. Yeah. That was because he wanted to redeem as well as the property and wanted to name right. that. And that guy didn't want to. No, there's an interesting, I mentioned, um, there was an interesting medrash that says that um, when, uh, when Hashem said to Adam over there uh, that he should not, uh, why did you eat from the tree of, uh, he blamed his wife for it. He says, the wife, she's the one that told me, I did what she told me. So the medrash says something very interesting, that what he said to Hashem was, I ate and I'll eat again. Well, it doesn't say anywhere in the verse. 
And then he said, it, 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 it seems like almost he, he regretted eating it. What does it mean? What does the measure say? He says, I'll eat nearly He says, like this. If you don't take responsibility mm-hmm. and you blame somebody else mm-hmm. and you're looking for excuses, that means that you'll do it again. Mm-hmm. If you, it's just, it's just natural. If you take responsibility and you say mm-hmm. that, listen, I made a mistake. Don't blame your wife. Don't blame anybody else. Don't blame somebody for your shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Just accept responsibility. And that way, you'll know the next time you won't do it or you'll do it the right way. But over here, if you're trying to blame somebody else, that means that you're not accepting any responsibility, and we know that you're going to do it again, because as long as you don't take responsibility for it, then you're going to do it again. So I think that's a very uh, a very uh, important lesson for us. It's important is to A, you know, to, to, to I mean, Ruth was a special, Ruth was a special uh, neshama, she had a special zuchus, and she said, I'm not saying that everybody can be like Ruth, but we should get courage and we should say to ourselves, A, not to blame, and even though the circumstances are difficult around us, and B, that we should know that our virtuous rights, our deeds can actually bring Mashiach. So, you know, we can do, just, you know, think, how could a non-Jewish woman converting to Judaism rise to the highest level to bring Mashiach? So you see, that, no, you never know. So never never discount anybody. Never uh, look down on anybody. Never mm-hmm. think that the other person is somehow inferior or mm-hmm. never be condescending. Always appreciate, as the Pirkei Ovis says, Never look down on any person. Because you never know. There's no person doesn't have a stay that has his time. And there's no thing that doesn't have his time. It has its place, you know, this person that you might think that He's not going to add up too much. It's not, you know, it's a waste of time or something like that. Altibos l'cholodum. The Pergob says, don't degrade. Don't, 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 don't look down on anybody. Because at the end, everybody can be destined to the greatness and to doing of the greatest things. Didn't you teach one class that, um, that Hashem loves people who do teshuva almost more than Absolutely. somebody that doesn't yeah. have to? Yeah, yeah. That's, that that's when, you, when you rise above your... Um, uh, challenges, it may, almost makes you stronger and higher than somebody who's just born with a golden spoon and doesn't have absolutely. to try. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Okay, so now, so that's that's still in my Shavuot spirit a little bit, so uh, mm-hmm. to finish up a little bit with that thought, but let's do a, a, a thought of the Pasha. We also have a beautiful part in this Pasha today, which is the blessing of the Kohanim. Mm-hmm. The blessing of the Kohanim is in this week's portion. And uh, the blessing of the Kohanim. Yeah, my grandfather was. Uh, and also, the Arba choir that I'm in, mm-hmm. they sung these three lines in a, in a tune to oh, me yeah. to comfort me. Didn't you, didn't my, you sing that to us one time? Yes, we it's did. It's so beautiful. Last year, and then they re-sung it personally and sent oh. it to me on the computer. Mm-hmm. That's so sweet. No. Did it help? Yes. Oh, I cried when I heard it. Yes. So good. So there is the Birchat uh, Kohanim. So the priestly blessings, you know, in in, uh, in Israel, they do it every day, basically. They do the priestly blessings. Uh, which means we also do it. We do it in the, uh, but the Chazan does it, not the Kohanim. Right. But in, in Israel... Uh, during the uh, morning services, every morning, the Kohanim get up there and they do the blessings. But here, 
we basically do it on Yantav. We do uh, only on Yantav. We do it. Uh, it's also debatable. And some Sephardic communities do it every Shabbos sometimes. So there is. So you do it at bar mitzvahs too? No, no we don't, don't. We do it only on Yantav. Only Yantav. We do it Yantav in Shabbos. We do it. So, um, so how does it? Um, how does the blessings of? How does it start? So the verse says, Hashem says to. Uh, uh, to to uh, to Moshe, speak to Aaron and his sons, and say to them, "So you shall bless." Speak to Aaron and his sons. Then there's two more words. It says, "Say to them." So you shall bless the Bnei Yisrael. You say, "Yivarecha Hashem veYishvarecha." Yair Hashem Ponov Eilecha Vichuneko, Yisa Hashem Ponov Eilecha Vyosim Lecha Shalom. What does it mean? So, uh, first blessing it says, Yivarechecha Hashem, may God bless you, Vishmarecha, and protect you. What does it mean, bless you and protect you? So, Rashi gives a uh, commentary over here. Rashi says, Hashem will bless you. But say like somebody uh, gives you a gift, gives you a blessing. So let's say they give you a, uh, a fortune, or give you a box of diamonds. Um, and what happens is that somebody comes and steals it from you. So it's lost. So it turns out that the blessing hasn't really accomplished much because they gave you something. And then it was taken away from you. What does it mean Hashem should bless you and protect you? Which means He gives it to you, but He also protects you. Make sure that what He gives you is going to last. Um, And so basically what it comes out is that the blessing consists of the actual blessing consists of two parts to it. One is the uh, giving, but if there is no protection for the giving over there, then there's no benefit to the blessing. So it has to be a blessing with the uh, with the protection that comes along with it. Same thing is in the uh, last part over there. We say, Yisah Hashem Panovelecho, may God grace you or carry meaning Hashem will not uh, uh, you know punish you or he'll hold back his anger in case you do do something wrong uh, he will sort of restrain his anger he won't uh, and he'll give you peace so again we have these two things that you can only be have peace when will you have real peace if Hashem will not, you know, uh, express his anger? Yichvash Kaiser, they come together. The same thing is in Yor Hashem Ponavelecho, in the middle one, uh, Hashem will show you a shining face, a good face, and then uh, this will be, he'll grace you, which means the grace you, it all comes together, Hashem's blessing comes together. and. And the thing is that um, 
Hashem says to the Kohanim, He says, He says, so you shall bless the, the Bnei Yisrael, but He says, Amor Lahem, say to them. He says, all of them, say to all of them. Actually, the blessing is individualized. Yevarechecha, you, Yishvarech, each individual. But we're also saying, say to them as a group. So you have both of them. So the Kohen blesses each and every one of the group. But he also tells you that you have to be all tuned in. The Kohen, basically, the Kohanim, the one who does the blessings, has to sort of bless individual together with you as a community, as part of the community, so that everybody listens together uh, to listen to the blessing, and yet know I'm an individual, I want the blessing, but yet also be part of the community together. So in other words, you all listen together. While it's my blessing, it's a blessing for me individually, but I have to know at the same time Everybody else is getting blessed individually. So it's individual, but individual together with a whole bunch of other individuals. And the Kohen, as Rabbi brings out over here, has to do it also in a very slow and gentle pace, not rushed and not quick, but to give everybody the, um, the blessing that they deserve individually and as part of a community. Because... The truth of the matter is, real blessing from Hashem only comes when we're all part, even as individuals, where we need, and every individual has their own particular needs. I mean, there's one style bracha, but everybody has their needs. Some people need help, you know, more than anything else. You know, that's what they need. Some people need nachas uh, from their children more than anything else, you know. Some people need finances more than anything else. Some people need, you know, find a match more than anything else. Everybody has, everybody has their individual needs, and the two people's needs are different. Everybody has needs, but you can't separate your needs from whatever everybody else's needs. In other words, God blesses us together as a union, all together, because that's that's Hashem wants us each one to want what's good for the other person while we want what's good for ourselves. And that's why the opening, before the blessing, it starts with a plural. She says, say to Arizona, say to them, who is to them? Amor lahem. Say to the general, to the yidn, to the, as a community. Then it says, yivarechecha, individually. Because before we can talk as individuals, we also have to make sure that we're all in it together. And that's a, 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 a very important point to really be concerned about another person uh, as well. While we all want and we, it's easy to see what we need for ourselves, it's not as easy to see what the other person needs. For that, we have to work a little bit harder. So that's what we have to say, Amor lahem, say to them, to am as a plural. So it tells you at the beginning, that the Kohen is going to include everybody as part, individuals as part of the, of the group. Um, and uh, that's a key for uh, the blessing. We find in other places that um, 
people could not really fully thank Hashem if it's only they have without everybody having what their needs. You can't be really fully happy and fully appreciative if just you yourself are taken care of and other people are not taken care of. Um, and that's a little bit a little bit difficult, difficult sometimes because uh, yourself you feel very... Uh, but that's why it starts with a Merlam. Yeah, what were you going to say? Is it helpful for the Jewish people to hear the blessings that each one is getting from the Kohen? Yeah, literally, they, everybody gets the blessing. I mean, literally, everybody gets Yuvarech Echah. I mean, they're saying, it's the same blessing, really. But essentially, we're saying that you also need to know that the blessing that you're getting, you're getting as an individual, but you're getting it together with everybody else. So I remember on my birthday, you invited me to give each person a blessing. Yeah, and that's a, the, yeah. We were there as a group. We yeah. heard each other's blessings. Yeah. Yeah. But... Um, here we're talking about uh, the, uh, the blessing that the Kohanim, that Hashem said the Kohanim to give. And, yes. um, and uh, they give us these, these beautiful blessings. So not only uh, is the blessing, but also the protection that the blessing comes mm-hmm. with the, with the uh, warranty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it comes with the warranty, with a guarantee. Yeah. It comes with a guarantee. Um, there's a story once told. I think the Gemara tells us that there was once a uh, a certain uh, king. He was very close with one of the rabbis, and uh, was very fond of him. So he sent him uh, a gift, like a precious, like a precious stone. And the rabbi sent him back a mezuzah. So the guy was a little bit insulted, you know. He says, you know, spent a lot of money for a treasure, and then he sent me. So he says, well, you sent me something that I have to constantly worry about. Maybe somebody's going to steal it and everything else. I sent you something that protects you. <laughs> so I sent you a much, a much more in that, in that value. Than, you know, it's, um, it's, um, it's something, you know, to give somebody a gift that keeps on giving, that is uh, protection, that is, goes on. That's the V'yishmarecha, that Hashem gives you and he protects you and uh, to make sure that your gift, gifts are lasting and, um, mm. and we all um, you know we all you know wonder you know while we you know we try and we give blessings to our children and we uh, but we need Hashem to keep those blessings that our kids should keep on you know guarding those those things that we get so it should keep on uh, producing and being there for the long term, you know, and not uh, it shouldn't be temporary. We shouldn't use it up to um, see the Hashem's blessing. But with Hashem's help, we read Ruth. We're reading the Parshas Nosei, which means to raise. We're all going to be raised up, raised up to the highest level, and we're going to uh, Hashem, see the uh, fruition of the promise. Mashiach will come, and Ruth will bring us Mashiach, and we hope very remain.